Happy Friday. It is time for Take Two, another week in exciting politics with the controversial Mara Carabello and Greg Hughes. <laughs> you you need are to flip controversial. The order there. Yes, no, the you're controversial. Bo- you're both controversial. Uh, Mara a couple of people Carabello. on Twitter um, were not pleased that I let either of you talk about the port um, mm-hmm. last week because both of you are irresponsible. So. Anyhow, yeah. so anyhow, thanks you know, for being here. Thanks for being. If they're not complaining, you're not. You don't matter. I mean, I know. If, if you just you're living a boring life if people aren't. If you're not raising some hair on the back of necks, I'm I know. Saying. I love making people mad. I do too. I actually don't. <laughs> like, actually, uh, I I actually don't like my, my like making my wife mad. But Krista will say I I happen to I must like it. It's like it a must sport. Be something I do. You do it I, enough. I do it so you've well. Perfected it. Yeah, she must. She thinks it's a. You know, something I like to do, and I guess which it's I don't. A sport for her to stick around. So you guys are both <laughs> winning at this game. Yeah, she's but she's tough. She's I I, I really don't like fighting with her, my wife. She's she's not one. She's you the only one with. You she's don't want to tangle. With. Nah, everyone else, I, I like tangling with different people, but not my wife. She's you don't have to go home to them. Yeah, no, that's exactly. Right. She's the boss. You and Mara can part ways after yeah, you squabble here right. and say, I'll see you in a yeah. week. This is one bit of great Mara's use nothing. I can I <laughs> take Mara any day. It's easy. Cool off. All right. Well, uh, we're finally done with the legislative session until we are not done with it. And someone realizes that something went wrong and we should have another session and check on it. But the first veto, was anyone surprised uh, that Governor Cox used his brother-in-law to throw under the original veto bus, Mara? Did you think this bill was going to go through? This is the one where it was electronic free speech amendments. I kind of thought he was going to uh, approve this one and put a signature on it. Yeah, you know, let me tell you what I think is most interesting about the four vetoes that he made. Um, You know, they were kind of consensus vetoes, so it's interesting. I'm giving him – he has done – an amazing job, I think, at states crafting here. He previewed it in his state of the state that he might. He understands the power of the pen of the governor's office, which I think is interesting. And he seems to understand how to use it, which is build up, build up, build up. He did veto four bills. My understanding of him, uh, those four bills were that they were largely reconciled with the sponsor prior. Great. I mean, this is all good news as far as I'm concerned. So there were no surprises. There were no surprises, and yet he did a great job sort of getting his point of view about it and looking like he um, was showing some executive authority. So I say well done to the governor. I don't know that there was much behind the scenes drama. I think in most instances, the sponsor had agreed to uh, the veto itself. And certainly with his brother-in-law, that had been an agreed on veto. A friendly veto. Are you thinking the same or should this one have been signed and gone through? This well, is the one policy wise, you could sue Facebook yeah. if they were... Policy-wise, it should have been signed and there needs to be something done. And you're seeing states like Texas and Florida and other states that are, that are doing something because of big tech oligarchs decision to surveil and censor content on their so-called platform which i would argue they're publishing you know messaging and a sentiment that they approve of versus taking off what they don't i don't think they should receive and enjoy the federal protections that they do of libel you know libel suits slander all those things so i i do i i think there's there has to be something we do in response to what i think has become a more aggressive uh, censorship of speech lately than it was before. So I wish that bill had signed, had been signed. But I, I will tell you this. Uh, to Mara's point, I think that Governor Cox did a phenomenal job of getting upstream during the legislative session, uh, articulating concerns he had before it came to a moment where you would veto a bill or not. And because he was good at doing it that way, I find the brother-in-law narrative uh, to be a little bit of theater. I think that that was, I think it's gr- it's great to point out that you have a brother-in-law that's a state senator and you vetoed his bill because, you know, dinner table at sun- on Sunday dinner or blood, you know, in, re- in re- relatives. Uh, Any good Sunday without dinner, regard, there's some blood that's dry, Without right? regard, <laughs> I'm going to veto a bill and it doesn't matter that you're my brother-in-law and it, and it shows this strength of uh, strength of conviction or whatever. I think there's a little bit of pageantry there i think that that's the i think that was planned to have yeah. a great little you know so, personal interest story uh in a veto and i i don't know if anyway i so just before think we move on before you spoke to the merit of the bill greg i just want to how are you reconciling the fact that one bill that did get signed into law is a bill that suggests that if the federal government does anything deemed un- unconstitutional by the state that it has to have a constitutional review attached to it on the state level and that they really pushed and it was a Republican kind of moment of, yeah, that's right. 
uh, an attempt by the federal government to infringe upon us. How do you reconcile that with this bill of McKell's that's just overtly unconstitutional? And it's a test balloon. I get, I get the philosophy of a message bill, and the state of Utah wants to plant a flag that actually should be paid for and planted by the by the federal government. So I think it's a waste of time and energy at this point. But how do you reconcile the fact that yeah. you just celebrated an unconstitutional bill proffered by the great state of Utah, and wow, yet Mara. you're probably celebrating She's also She's asked this bill. question forever. I'm ready, I've been to ready to answer it since the word okay. go. <laughs> that constitutional notes are not required on these bills any longer. The sponsors can ask for them, but they're, right, they're but not required. but we just required them of federal. But let me just say this. The, 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 I can't remember Derek Kitchen, Senator Kitchen's spouse, but the Kitchen v, you know, Kitchen and Herbert. his it, going against Herbert, you know, when you have a 65% uh, referendum or, or amendment to our, our Constitution defining marriage between one man and one woman, at the time we did that, there would not have been anyone that would have said that a, a referendum or a constitutional amendment passed by the people of a state would be unconstitutional. Every scholar, every person would have said, that's bulletproof. You've got it. You've done it. It wasn't. They filed it anyway. They filed in the face of, we promise you it's unconstitutional. These issues are going to have to be adjudicated. And, and I'm going to tell you that the left does this better than the right, by the way. They do not let the, the popular or the scholars tell them what's what. They will lean in and they will go to the courts and they will adjudicate and they will make their best case. And you know what? The scholars aren't always right. They're not batting a thousand in these so-called, uh, you know, get decisions or, or opinions about whether it's constitutional or not. So you're against the bill that passed this year that would require a Utah review of the constitutionality of a federal bill being imposed you can, in look, Utah. Look, good information drives good decisions. You can do all that, but at the end of the day, you you cannot let it chill the decisions that you're making as a legislative body, whether you want to challenge someone's belief that it's constitutional or not. I'm going to tell you, if it's not this, tell me how in the world. I mean, do you break up the big tech uh, social media platforms, or or we only have two servers apparently, G Google and yeah. Amazon. They run yeah. the world apparently from these two companies only. What happens when they don't like they, that states become dependent on online services through only two companies that provide that have servers? It's with the ability to do question. it. Yeah. What about when they say, well, we don't like the laws you pass, so we're going to take you off our server. What happens then? Is it time to break them up? Is it time to challenge them? I'm going to tell you, this is this problem is not getting smaller or going away. It's going to get bigger, and l state legislatures are going to have to start challenging yeah, this Yeah, right. I mean, I, I, you, you made that argument a second ago. I'm yeah. just saying there, there lacks sort of consistency in the application of that from legislators. They, they won't allow that in the federal government. They say that's their right at the state level. So yeah. there, yeah. there I, is I, sort I of if, an inconsistency. If, if providing, I mean, they're not saying that we're never going to run a bill that is or... Anyway, my point is this. They want to put that information out there about its constitutionality or what the opinion is of that. Duly elected members of the legislative branch should move forward on the policy they believe in and be prepared to defend that uh, when and if necessary. I would like to see it tackled on the national level. We actually I saw Facebook too. and Twitter um, hearings yesterday. I don't know what the right answer is because we all like to see free market, but at the same time, the free market may not be working but, here. But they don't enjoy free market. They, they can't open these companies in other countries because they would be sued for the things that they allow to be said. They enjoy a federal law and federal protection that's not the Constitution by itself as written. It's a federal law that carves them out and protects them against lawsuits of slander and libel, and they don't qualify for it anymore. But I agree with you, Heidi. I want the federal government to deal with this, but I'd like the federal government to deal with is cannabis still a Schedule One narcotic when 36 states are using it the White House against is still the law? To figure right. that out uh, you know, <laughs> for medical cannabis or recreational, uh, are we going to have a debate on the floor over a bill? And in the U.S. House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate, no. Can we have a committee that's more than just pageantry? Can they amend bills and pass them out? There's a lot of things I'd like to see the federal government do, of which they do none. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's where you're seeing states are just trying to, you know, they're trying to move things forward on important policy because we don't have a federal government acting as, uh, as described in our Constitution. Well, thank you, Cox, for the veto. <laughs> Well, no way. <laughs> that thing should have stayed on the, the books. Three other vetoes, in case you missed them, uh, local <laughs> government building regulation amendments. Uh, that's the one where I believe builders can't go in and get their own someone to come look and give them a check mark when the city should be coming to do it. I know there's issues with that, but that just seems like, I don't know, the 
fox watching the hen house or something. So uh, hemp regulation amendments, those are vetoed. Local education agency policy amendments also vetoed. And then there was a win for someone in this room, Greg Hughes, <laughs> now that dirty lobbyist word. Uh, you were working on the pretrial detention amendments and uh, Cox signed that one. Were you expecting him? So Heidi, I happened to find myself on the side of angels with oh, the duly elected oh, 29 county sheriffs of the state of Utah. And there was, there was bail reform that looks just like the George Soros catch and release pro criminal bail, so-called reform air quotes reform in New York state and other places. Uh, it had terrible, they actually under the premise that you don't want to hold people that are low level crimes. They, they supported the bill the year before the sheriff's association did. But when the unintended consequences are, are being realized, when you're holding people that you should be able to release, when you're releasing people that are a threat to the public at large or to themselves or a flight risk, uh, this the bill didn't work, and we needed to repeal it. Uh, we've had incidences that were just happening this last week that are all part of this catch and release that's going on nationally, and it's hit our state. Uh, the work isn't done. The repeal of bail reform, the concept and why it passed last year and needed re uh, repealed is because people did on a high level agree that we should not hold people who cannot make bail. It's a low level crime. They lose their job. They just, it's a trajectory into, you know, circumstances that their, their financial situation makes justice and the serving of justice very different than someone of means. And we don't want that. And I think the sheriffs and, and many stakeholders in the criminal justice system agree there. It's just when you get, well, that's 30,000 feet. When you get closer to the ground, you need policy that works, policy that applies not only in just the Wasatch Front and our large counties, but in fact can be applied in our smaller jurisdictions as well. We don't have that. We didn't have it. So it was a great bill. I, I'm Let's glad see. that the uh, <laughs> governor signed it. And I do believe, just to let the public know, it's not the end game. The, there is continued work that will go forward with these stakeholders uh, which was always the case. This and is I what we always do. That's knew where the happen. common ground. Angels on his side. No, I mean you. Well, <laughs> sheriffs. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that after we get over the dog whistle, Soros, New York. <laughs> It's a catch and release. Um, I, I think one concept. thing that did work right about this bill, there were three in this subject matter. They kicked them around a lot. Both have really strong defenses for them. And, you know, one thing I wonder about this bill as a spectator, I, I'm on the sidelines here, but one thing I wonder about the bill is are they trying to cover too much? And should they break apart this and really deep dive into several sections of pretrial? Um, so that would be one thing that I would say to the process because one thing I think we all agree on is Mikkel's bill was smart to put a pin in it and yeah. say this conversation isn't over. We still haven't reconciled everything. Um, I think both sides feel like there's still reconciliation to happen. So I think everyone did a reasonably good job passing something um, because there's an applied law. And sometimes when there's an applied law, you can't just stick with nothing. But I also know that this is at the top of the list for consideration of a um, special session perhaps in April. And I think both sides of this argument have um, some cases and I think they would be well to maybe break it apart a little bit and let those other um, participants like the ACLU, like the prosecutors, argue merit. Um, I think they might find more common ground if they broke apart some of those issues a little bit and dealt with them a little more I, specifically. I agree with you. But in, but here's something I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to insist at least from my, you know, from, you know, the, the cheap seats of which I sit in nowadays, you can, you can argue and you can put in statute or you can write in a bill, a change of policy. If you don't have the way to pay for that, if you're going to change and expect people to do things differently and administered our justice our criminal justice system differently, but you have not given any dollars um, to how that would work. So if you have a judge saying, okay, we're going to release you, but you have to have an ankle monitor. If you, have, if you don't have a sheriff's office that has any ankle monitors and that's what's happened, that's a problem. If you don't have a judge that says, what's the geofencing? What does the ankle monitor actually protect against? Where can they be? Where can they not be? These are th You can't just say ankle monitor and it's the end of the story. There has to be fiscal notes and there has to be ways to pay uh, for, the, for the new processes that you want to put into law that has to be part of this conversation. It, it, it sounds so intuitive as we say it now, but it hasn't been. No, I they don't think the right hand is always talking to the left here. Right, they your mouth to every city, city councilman's yeah. ears, right? Yeah. I mean, we had a more aggressive attack on local government ever from the legislature this year, and a lot of it is mandates that don't have executable backing or funding behind well, them. Well, I, I, when I was, you know, when I wasn't sitting in the chief seats, I did. That was not a concept that it was lost on me that you have to be able to. It's unfunded mandates otherwise. 
but you can't front load all these these grandiose promises to the public and say you're going to do all these great things and there isn't a there isn't a way to implement what it is that you've put in the law and if you're salt lake county the largest county in the state or if you're utah county or davis county good on you you got a great giant tax base that the other counties of our state don't have and so these laws have to be applied uniformly in 29 states and you better have a fiscal note and you better have a way that you're going to pay for these things if that's what you want to do and so that's a that has sadly la- that's been lacking in the criminal justice reform space is how you pay for the new processes you want to create and it's got to be the just in, on the front burner when pay you talk about it. Pay for it and then a Zoom meeting so the prosecutors, the sheriffs, and also the judges are on the same page. Because yesterday we were talking to the Utah County Sheriff and the Utah County Prosecutor who had very differing viewpoints on a catch and release case, whether yes. it was catch and release, and the blame ended up on the judge that he'd messed it up. So I think sometimes... Poor judge needs to get on the, on the Zoom think, too. I think the judge is you know sometimes doing the best they can. So is the sheriff, so is the prosecutor, but sometimes they're not all working together as well as they can or should be. I'm sure it's not easy. I've never done any of those jobs, but I'm guessing uh, there can be some work done there. Also, interestingly enough, it's always interesting to see which laws pass into law without a signature on them. I was not surprised by the voter affiliation amendments where you could swap parties because this, if you look back to the gubernatorial election, obviously, we've talked about this before, that some people were encouraged to file, not as Democrats, but Republicans, to make sure the Greg Hughes's of the world yeah, did it not was the, win. It was called the anyone but Hughes effort. That was the campaign. Was I don't anyone think but it helped uh-huh. Spencer Cox, though, either. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if he were to sign this, does it look like it's kind of sour grapes, uh, but also supports the idea that you can't switch right up to an election? Yeah. Are we thinking it's he wanted it in law, but just didn't want to sign his name to it? That's yeah, what this I feel. is just an overt sidestep, yeah. right? This is an ability to say, what are you talking about? I didn't weigh in on this. It it keeps all sides happy for him and clean for him. So it, it, is, a, it is a question, though, of a governor who went through the process of signing, like, oh, but just a handful. It really stands out, yeah. the ones he decided to not Why weigh not in Why not the Utah Film Economics? Why not? Because it's, yeah. it brings so much money. I know Yellowstone. I haven't watched it. But I understand it was bringing a lot of money, a it lot was. of interest in the state. And we are paying them money to be here. But I, from what I understand, it comes back tenfold. So why anyone is he The criticism, it? I mean, sort of the criticisms of arts and culture and film has fallen into this, is they there's sort of one metrics that that most of government economists decide to use. And if you don't fit into the metrics, they say you don't pay off. And it's things like direct impact on jobs. Now, I think the indirect impact of the film industry in this instance, but also arts and culture, is enormous and quantifiable. We do not have a tradition in the state where a lot of conservatives like the indirect impact. And I think it is actually real. And film, I think, falls into this category um, from anywhere from the indirect impact of you see Yellowstone, you ask where it got filmed, and you come visit later with your family to just repositioning Utah's brand as someone. And the other thing that that Utah has been brilliant about is there are kind of um, incentive-based pay-to-play programs in the film industry in which they're overdone. Like the local jurisdiction is paying so much much money that I could see as an elected official, I would say, really, are we getting much? We've never been on that side of the ledger. We get more from the production companies that come in for the dollars that we give. So we do a good job, like integrating them to our place, to our beauty. Um, Utah is one of the few places on the earth that can offer the vista. You, You can be in a desert scenario in the morning and in a mountain and you can pretend you're in New Zealand in the afternoon. So I will just say, I think, I think I, I just, disagree with his sidestep. I, I disagree. It's a departure from where the state's been. And I think film is a rare payoff for us. Although, yes, it doesn't fit into the bean counters metrics of yeah. ROI. But in on the other end, we'll get a data center from Facebook or Google exactly. or Amazon, and it literally will take up this giant piece of land. We'll give them a massive tax break. And what job does it bring? It uses Very up little. all our water and Very air conditioning, which makes no sense. The way this bill passed in the law, it, it, it highlights the problem that the Film Incentive Fund has, and that is if you look at the numbers, if you look at the quantifiable advantage of having a successful film industry in our state, uh, this incentive is post-performance. That means that after the production has happened, after the money is spent in the state, only on in-state expenses, your caterers, your hotels, whatever it may be, you stack the receipts on the on the table and you get a rebate back of 10%, 15%. If you brand the state, there's a little bit more that you'll get back. But it's 
it's a rebate back from what they brought by economic activity. And so we should celebrate these things. These a lot of states, as Mara described, they try to front load money into these these productions and it and it's questionable whether they they get the money back. This is a post performance incentive. The Yellowstone was the most successful series since Touched by an Angel to be filmed in Utah. We have lost that series. It's now been moved to to Montana. Um, it, we weren't able to fund. We were our fund was tight. We didn't have enough money. They tried to replenish and have that fund for because series are different than movies. That's an yeah. ongoing. It's something that you want to see happen. Uh, we should be celebrating this. We should be having ceremonial signings of of bills like this. And I will say that the bill that passed, Senator Winterton. Um, it's not even enough. The money that was that was even used to increase was it was a small sum compared to oh, Georgia. Theirs is unlimited, and I can rattle off the shows that are that are being filmed in Georgia because they have a smart incentive fund, and and uh, theirs is I believe post performance, but they don't cap how much they'll rebate back. Um, and there's some very very popular shows that people would recognize immediately, uniquely filmed in Georgia because they have captured this industry in a yeah. smart way they've captured a value there so it gets signed because it's smart it, it's 100 percent of nothing's nothing we're not going to you're not going to post performance there's no post performance to give yellowstone anymore because they're gone and that and all the jobs and all the things that were happening uh, in that series when it was filmed here we lose and that and that hurts our state so they know the math they know it's worth keeping they know it's worth putting more money in but because there's a stigma that you're spending taxpayer money on something that doesn't look like a have to have, that's why you let the thing go and you don't sign it or you just let it go into law. We got to change that. We really got to let people know these are these are things worth celebrating. I would argue we need the arts after this last year where there were no movies to go to. Uh there were no new TV shows. We were waiting for our TV shows to come out, no concerts to go to. I feel like we need those outlets and releases, and I don't know. There's a spinoff to, to Yellowstone that I'm hoping Utah competes for, and that's it's called, I think it's called 18. Is it called Hot Pots or like something? <laughs> it's 1883. <laughs> it's the Dutton hmm. family, the John Dutton family, the originals as they came and hmm. settled that area outside. Of, it's supposed to be outside of Yellowstone. But that, that series, I'm hoping that Utah is competitive and being able to attract to our state since we've lost the uh, – flagship uh, All right. series we'll so. watch that and see how it goes this next topic i'm not dying to talk about but i feel like it comes up every so often somehow we made it through the pandemic without having to talk about gun control because of a mass shooting but now we've had one where seven people were killed in atlanta georgia now in our neighboring state here of colorado another 10 people at a grocery store uh democrats now have control um on a national level of the house and the senate so mara we'll start with you what, if any, legislation is realistic that they can pass and should they pass? So I, I have a hard time answering the question about what we can pass, and that's part of the problem, right? Um, we've so politicized this issue. This is an issue that many of you know for me is so passionate that I'll try and dial it back a little bit. But one of the things that I've been thinking about this week is this is a choice. This is a choice America is making. This is not an inevitable event. This is not beyond our control. Mass shootings are not beyond our control. Having said that, I'm not saying we go down to 100% prevention. That's not what lawmaking is about. Lawmaking is not about a guarantee of nothing bad happening. But yes, there are steps, and certainly America is choosing this. Um, you know, it reminded me when I when I was younger, I went on a trade mission to Australia. Um, Greg spent some time in Australia, and why I was, have I not been to Australia? I know, and My I was with, I was there for about she a month, and I was with I was with a bunch of big stinking deals, and people were getting upset because every member of parliament I was representing the Gun Violence Prevention Center, and every member of parliament wanted to talk about guns, and without exception, when you leave the United States, people are like, "What's your deal with guns? You all really like them." I think that it's a sovereignty. It's deal. it's over. We like it. Well, I mean, we're very much like Australia in that way. And so the one thing I no, will way more bossy. I will put directly on the Republican Party. And one of my biggest frustrations is I do not believe the Republican Party has a platform on guns at all, except for what does the NRA say? And I have complete contempt for the party that will not choose proactive steps to solve this social contract we have and, in fact, punt this issue to a special interest group. And 
I love special interest groups and they have a place in the domain, but I have contempt for a party that will not come to the table because they're worried about a rating from a, a highly effective, highly skilled. They may lose their seat. I understand the politics of it. They are good at but what they do. The Republican Party cannot keep punting this issue to the NRA. They have to address it. Background checks and and putting the assault records ban back in. We have purchased more assault rifles in the last 10 years than we ever have. We have to have a community conversation. I refuse to have a political conversation anymore. I don't have faith that the Republicans or the Democrats will pass this, but we have to have a community conversation. We do not have to have mass killings in the United States. Both at sides the frequency. are extreme. I know. Yeah. And everyone wants to talk about whether it's assault rifles or if it's the TV shows we watch, if it's mental health, we look at the Colorado shooting, and it seems to me that that um, man right now, it seems like could be a mental health issue. And then, but like, what are the fixes? Do you see yeah. fixes on your side? Are you all NRA all the time? And so you can't NRA is like, it? I think in the throes of bankruptcy are right now. Are you a now. member? I don't, I'm not. But I, I don't think that, the, I don't think it, they're as powerful as, as one would think. Here, here's, but I'll tell you what, people are passionate about owning their guns. Yes, and they, they are. are. And, and uh, there's 300 million guns at last count. But gun in ownership our is not in question. And I'm going to tell this, you. This, this also round of we're going to strip you from your guns is just. I get yeah, a chance here. I Give me a you. chance here. Okay. You can see the steam coming out of her ears out of those headphones when you talk about smoking. this. She gets mad on this one. <laughs> I'm try- that's why I'm, you know, wheeling back <laughs> with my chair. All right. But listen, there is a disc. You want to talk about a disconnect with this country. If you counted the counties where these homicides are happening or where gun violence occurs, for some reason, when we talk about gangs and we talk about the violence happening in Chicago or major metropolitan areas with guns, and then you talk about the mass shootings that are happening, more it is more often the case that the gang violence and the violence in our metropolitan areas is happening on a daily basis that never gets the coverage. And we got to stop that. I'm not, I'm not assigning this to party. I'm saying, look... If we want to talk about gun violence, why don't we drill down and look at where the counties is, where it's happening the most? I think it would surprise many to find that we have some very, very violent and some scary places in this country by way of counties, if we're counting them, versus the population of Americans wholly, even those Americans that buy, you know, uh, AK-47s or whatever they're buying. I don't think it's a national problem. I think we have some gun violence problems that are much more broad than the type of gun or the or what you hear at the end when a mass shooting happens the script gets flipped and all of a sudden we're talking we're even hearing you know, warrantless if the we shouldn't even have right, to have a warrant to enter into the home that. yeah we shouldn't even have a warrant to enter the home and confiscate guns or some of the some of the rhetoric that you hear from the same group that's saying let's defund the police and have no and ban no knock warrants but i'm going to tell you this the the the, the violence we see in these mass shootings it is not reflective of the conversation we should be having about gun violence and the crimes committed with guns and the people that are being killed or wounded with guns. It's, it's, it's broader. It's happening in places that we don't talk about on a regular basis and we should be as equally outraged about, but it just throws all of America and every citizen who ends again in the same category. So and it's Greg, unfair. why don't the it's Republicans want to touch this? If you, if, if I buy into your philosophy of it's not the NRA, which I don't buy into, but let's just say for okay. this, I do. Why won't the Republicans talk about this they issue? They do talk about it, Mara. Look, if they say bought, don't if take my guns away, that's not a conversation. Listen, if you've purchased a gun lately, you cannot say that there wasn't an incredible amount of scrutiny paid to that process. We just passed constitutional carry in this state, Greg. Yes, but we you don't can't require any level of efficiency sh- with a oh, weapon. We don't bet? require any Cabela's. background checks go in half Ca- of our situations in the United States. Go to Cabela's right now with constitutional carry on the books. Go to Cabela's and go buy a gun and tell me you're not scrutinized at a high level. You absolutely are. Scrutiny you isn't enforcement. Are. I mean, I, I, I. But what if you want to buy a gun at like a gun show or KSL.com or. Craigslist. Are you going to argue there's not straw purchasing going on? We're one of the most trafficked states because of our looseness. Here's here's my issue. Then what? Because I hear the left saying, for those that are undocumented that live in our country, we don't want to live in a country where we're going to go raid homes and find out if someone's here legally or not. But if you have 300 million guns owned by Americans right now and growing, 
How would you like to get rid of all those guns? Okay, so let's talk about that. Do you want to storm their homes? Let's do you want to kick about down that, their Greg. doors? No one you're was having a conversation these, you're not about getting rid of these guns. Let's talk about that. You're not no one was you're having a conversation pressure, about getting rid of guns. And that's where the zero sum gun. I want to talk about regulations and you're like pry it out of my cold damn hands. No, Keep your hunting rifle. I don't care about that. Think, I don't want to take your gun if away. If you think a signing ceremony in the Rose Garden of the White House banning, just using the word ban, whatever gun, just you know, use the, the guns you don't like anymore, whatever's unsettling to you after the word ban. If you think they all disappear I in don't. this country, again, they don't. My goal, I know they, this. And, and you can't I compare us to Australia because that's the size of California or smaller. Okay, let's, go, not let's go constitutional for a second. Let's go with all of the rights we love and hold so dear. Explain to me, and, le and let's leave the Constitution for a second. Let's talk about how laws work. One of the things that I've never understood is, so there's a chance that domestic violence and certainly DUI is associated with drinking, right? And so when someone offers a drinking law that says, hey, listen, one drink could lead to X, Y, and Z, so let's stop DUI. We say, mm, that sounds reasonable. When we talk about speech and we talk about time, place, and manner, which is a constitutionally held offense, we say time, place, and manner. That makes sense. Search and seizure, huge parameters about it. 13th and 14th Amendments, which are about individual people, huge restrictions around it. I say anything about basic societal restrictions and conveniences, not banning. I'm not taking away your hunting rifle. They say when ban. I you talk, don't, but they When do. I talk about putting restrictions in place that will improve the safety of day-to-day -day people, mostly black and brown citizens, to your point. When we talk about that, what do I get? I get returned with, ain't nobody touching my God-given right. Well, but, one, the Constitution Mara, isn't that great. We Mara, don't apply constitutional rights in described. any manner except the Second <laughs> Amendment. Red Bull gives Mara wings. Listen, and Mara, guns. <laughs> you, if, someone, if somebody listened to what you just said, and had no idea of what laws are on the books regarding guns, they would think that there were none. There are laws be regarding close to ride in Utah. guns. No, you. There are absolutely there are laws related to, to gun ownership. We don't. We don't have. We're not. It's not the Wild West. We're not. That's not what this looks like. And there are laws. You're you're arguing that you have all these laws in in relation to the constitutional protect constitutionally protected liberties that we have. And that somehow on our Second Amendment rights, there are no laws. That, that is, is what not, I'm suggesting. Yeah, there I'm suggesting are laws. that are not enough there and we don't apply them the laws. same way. And in the jurisdiction in the most violent counties where they have increased those laws, you're not seeing gun violence Well, and as down. you know, in Utah, you're not allowed to preempt in Utah, so we wouldn't have local jurisdictions. But I will settle down on this issue. I would like to know <laughs> if there's anyone actually going and following up on these cases. Because I saw someone take pictures of all the mass shootings over the last few years of the gunmen in it. And there were so many pictures. That's what shocked me the most by how many. And I forget if it's three or four that makes it a mass shooting. Does anyone know? I can't I've remember. Anyhow, but they had all these pictures from the last few years. And it was interesting how diverse they were in that it seemed like they were coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, except for women. There was only a couple when you looked at. That was the one thing that wasn't diverse about the groups. They were mostly men. But I know a lot of people say it's always white men doing these shootings. When you look at all the pictures over the last couple of years, it's a very diverse crowd. I want to know if anyone goes back and is studying, you know, what was their mental health? Like, what were their affiliations in life? What made them snap? Because we keep fighting about guns and how to fix these problems. But I wonder if anyone's going back and, like, really deep diving into the lives you know, and the aspects. I think you're bringing up an bought. interesting aspect that Greg and I would both probably like is that I do think um, this is not instructed as much by data. Part of it is it's not an absolute right. Just because it happened before doesn't mean it'll happen again. But I feel like it's a unique area where the data has come from the polars and and so yeah. I don't trust yours and you don't trust mine it would be an interesting exercise if if we could find a neutral party that could help us grapple with this based on some generalities in data or at least as you're yeah. suggesting um, it, I mean it's hard because it is what we know is it's a multi-pronged thing mental health is a part of it but mental health doesn't kill guns kill um, economics is a part like there it, it's it's not one-dimensional none of us think it's one-dimensional I, um, I, I will tell you this and I I don't know that you'll agree that this is in agreement with you, but I'm going to tell you, I, I truly believe that if you, not the gun by itself, but if you are comfortable around and are trained in, in the safe use of a firearm, you're comfortable using it, you can shoot, you know, you shoot it or you go to the firing range or whatever it may be, I believe you're safer. 
than if you're if you're someone who doesn't have a gun. I think if you have guns and you and you have been trained and you're comfortable with it, you are safer. And I believe there's studies that bear this out. I think we should have in our curriculum of our high schools the ability to learn how in a, in an environment where you can be trained to use firearms to be comfortable with them. You don't know what you don't know. You might find that if you had ever been but around, do you want kids guns, actually on a firing range at school? This makes sure. me nervous. No, okay. you are crazy. Yeah, I put will them behind cars. Then again, I we let them learn how to drive. Camp, but I know they we let these kids there. drive these cars. <laughs> these cars are, are, you know, you drive them wrong, you can hurt true. people. So, no, I think being being educated, and we can make it an elective, so you don't have to. There do was that literally look, nothing okay? you just said. I agreed with. Just I know, I know. I, I can't go I to sixty again. But there was nothing you just said that agreed with you. But I believe it. You, it agrees with what you're saying because I'm I gonna think be, if I'm you sing O Canada allow right people, now. if you allow people to be well trained and they're and they're comfortable around it, and it's not this thing they've never had in their home or in their lives, so they're afraid of it. But if you had schools, high schools that would allow that, just to, let's just have make it an elective for now, and only in rural people, schools. No, <laughs> let people find out that they that it, how to use them and if they'd like to use them. That makes for a safer society okay, I'm because you're you, not getting rid of I'm the guns. I'm going to ask you a you're question to just call you out on They're your already malarkey. here. How Ooh. many of the three Hughes kids have their concealed carry? None. They can't get. They can't go and get their permit because they're not old enough yet. But how many have gone? So None. this whole, like, I really think we'd all be better off if we had more guns in our life is preposterous. I mean, there's no incident in which something that does harm is less harmful when there's more of it, no, right? No, like the, the a little bit of poison, harm, but, and, the, but a lot but of the, poison. But the, but the training and being familiar with it so that you're not afraid, that you know how to use it and, and be responsible, why would you not want that? If you're going to have a gun, you should want that. If you're took, going to have I, a gun, I wanted yes. to hunt when I was a kid. I had to take the, the hunter's safety course. Before I could go hunting, you know. Did you actually and I went. kill something? No, I sat okay. and froze all day wondering. at the bottom <laughs> of a tree. Makes my heart and I never, sad. and that's why I didn't want to go because I just froze the whole okay, time. Well, so we've I got some sweat. work to do on this issue. Is probably we do. how we should. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of work to do. With some work to do. Oh my god! So another issue that I feel is just as extreme, and it didn't used to be, is the border crisis. So if we flash back a few years ago, I remember, um, because I work for CBS, this is what I remember, Nora O'Donnell going down uh, to the border centers, um, showing kids living with those Mylar blankets in cages. Um, she, she showed what was happening. I think it was disturbing. I know at the time this is when children and parents were being separated. And at the time, I remember there were a lot of protests from Democrats where they were putting, you know, kids inside of little gates or cages on the side of the road and just saying, you know, can you imagine your kids like this? And it was Democrats who were angry and they were going to the border and we got to put this on camera. Now, flash forward a few years and you can blame whoever you want for the problem that's happening. Now, President Biden won't let cameras in and all of a sudden we have 18 senators, including Utah Senator Mike Lee at the border, showing pictures of what's happening and Democrats are silent, but Republicans are saying, look what's going on. And Democrats are like, you guys suck. This is, you know, it's just like, okay, it's a problem then, it's a problem now. But no, like the other side won't admit that there is an issue. And Democrats right now are like, I, I think Republicans are making this up. Show me a problem. <laughs> and so what do we do to fix this? Because we have a problem. I mean, I can't imagine sending kids as young as seven, let alone my 15-year-old, across the border to another country without his parents. But people are doing that. Now we have tens of thousands of kids. What do we do with them? How do we make it so we can keep these kids safe? How do we make it so families can come to our country safely, but in an orderly manner? Greg, do you want to go first? Yeah, let me go one? first. So there's a photographer. He's award-winning. He's not considered a Democrat or Republican. He works for Getty Services in okay. terms of photos. He's won an award for child, a Honduran child. Uh, it was in 2019 he won this award. Uh, his statement is, there's no modern precedent for a full physical ban on media access to the CBP border operations. He said, to those who might say, cut them some slack, they're dealing with a situation, I'd say that showing the U.S. response to the current immigrant surge is exactly the media's role, okay? This is a, this is a photographer. We don't know what it is. Yeah. This is a photographer that's covered during the Trump administration, the Obama administration before that, the Bush administration before that. I think it goes even further back. He is shocked that for the first time ever, they are get, it is a full physical ban on the media access to these areas. There's a whistleblower uh, within Border Patrol, and it's been confirmed that the and the the email didn't go to the media; it went to their uh, higher ups. But it's been confirmed to be a, a the letter to be val the email to be valid. Pod 3A is designed to hold 80 people. 
And on this day, we have 694 people, unaccompanied, 694 unaccompanied children with two agents maintaining custody. That is an 867%, 867% of the stated capacity of this detention space. Forget I'm going to tell you. I don't, how do you care for kids without their parents? Too you know, too, the emotional. The, the, the issues going on right now. You can, it is selective outrage. It is, it should be, it should be. And both sides have been guilty of it. Right. Yeah. But the problem is, Heidi, that when, when there was media access during 2018, when Trump, when the Trump administration was dealing with their surge, which was much smaller than what's happening now, people were losing their minds, kids in cages. It's all you ever heard. This is worse. And I will tell you that when you are a candidate, and this is where words matter, and it's so easy in a campaign to say whatever you want. Biden said, those are seeking asylum should be let right through. Should we deport people simply because they don't have documentation? No, we should not. How if you live outside the United States and you hear those sentiments and those campaign positions said over and over, would you not believe that you can get asylum and come straight through and that if you don't have documentation, you will not be deported? And how can this administration not know that they are the source of this crisis, that they are the ones that have created the chaos that's going on, and none of these children are safe. How they get there, how th who's bringing them to the border, this is not a safe situation. It's a sad situation. We can argue that it was sad and, and, and unacceptable in the Trump administration. I think they tried to make it better. They worked on that policy. But the messaging that came out of the United States from the Biden campaign is exactly why you see this, this as bad as you see it on the border. And Biden's failing at this right now, absolutely failing. So, Mara, I think it was Senator Romney earlier in the week said that the policy right now is a de facto policy like Trump's, where it's family separation by the rule we have where kids are allowed in but not families. Would you agree with that? No. I mean, I, I will say what I first want to agree with is it's unacceptable to um, cut out the media and the photographers in this. It's unacceptable. We should all, that shouldn't have a long debate to it. Information we should, is power. We should all yeah, say yes. information. And the other thing is, one of the things that defuses if the politicians are smart enough, which they're not, is to say sometimes there are problems. We've had waves before under Republicans mm -hmm. and Democrats, yeah. and America needs to accept we have an immigration challenge and we should start working through it instead of playing political ball with it, which is once again what we're doing. So I will say it's completely unacceptable that Americans don't stay informed about what's going yeah. on. And so we, we can't abide that. And people should put pressure on. I do think that it's also incredibly manipulative and naive to say that Biden put out the call and they all started coming. In most instances, immigrants um, take several months to get there. So I think, again, back to what I just said, there's been an American border problem for years, and they're not waiting. And, and this notion, I mean, it, I, I will give Greg's incredulous look some, yeah. some but I will tell you. There has been a surge from 28% yeah, of I mean, children up to 61%. I forget what the numbers his, are from if customs. It's not his message, yeah, it, then it, yeah. why did it get it, so big It was now? pretty equal to the 19 surge. Now, yeah, I will say, Obama, I mean, I'm Biden has prioritized kids. Yeah. The, tr it's unacceptable. I would tell you from my seat that one of the reasons that we're having such a hard time is is the United States did take apart a lot of these systems in the last four years, as was the prerogative. So some of it is really a capacity issue. I think it is a matter of Biden having a more aggressive open border strategy as well. But many of us are comfortable with the open border strategy, and we are talking about the practical implications of not being able to process this. I also think it is a trick of the right to say that we're not deporting. I mean, it's I, it, there is some ir irony in the fact that Obama deported so many people, right? Which would not yes. be a position I supported. He was like and the I, number one deporter. He in was, decades. and I wasn't yeah. for that. I'm more in Biden's camp here, but I I think we're we're lying on the political fight. What we have is a practical reality. And Heidi, I'm with you completely in that. There's still a political conversation to be had about immigration, but I think with the kids right now, there's not one to be had. And I think that um, if we can, I, I would say to Biden, which I think he has the wherewithal to do, and frankly, I think this is the approach he's taking. If he can get this many immunizations out in 66 days, we can certainly work on processing these kids. It's but they're here's my the ones question. at risk. How do we, everyone always uses the word process, but... I know some of these kids will have an aunt or an uncle and a phone number in their pocket where they can send them to North Carolina or wherever it is they may have family here. But I can't imagine that 
the vast majority of these kids do? Do we put them in foster homes? Are there, I mean, what do we do with this many kids? Yeah, I mean, this was part of what was taken apart, I think, in the last four years, is that we did have stations, immigration stations beyond border that we yeah. would send them to. We don't have those resources right now, and we're rebuilding those resources because they were taken down. And I do think that we have... We have an issue also with the fact that if we can all imagine the desperation you must feel to send your 13-year-old, right, the, the position you yeah. must be in, and you can't contact an immediate family member. And um, there's yeah, a language. If my 15-year-old doesn't call or answer a text within like a few minutes, I'm like, They're on oh, it. my gosh, he's They're dead. On Where it. has he been? Yeah. That's yeah. only the case for my youngest child with my wife. That, the, my youngest one That's gets the that trouble. treatment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She can't find him. It's all... It, <laughs> The others, it's, it's, an it's an amber three alert to five days five on the minutes. older ones. The other two, <laughs> yeah. she doesn't care, but the youngest one, five minutes, it's time for an amber alert. It's the it's last terrible. baby. You got to take care of them. You just said that this is a capacity problem. I, I am just loving this. It's a capacity problem. Now, when it was Trump, it's kids in cages. We got to get these babies out of cages. Now it's just, we have a capacity problem. It, it sounds so, it sounds so. So nice. with, so, with you know, Trump, so Trump took apart all those systems because he hardened our border walls. And that's a well-known yeah. strategy, Greg. I'm, keeping well, people out of America first, I'm pretty sure that was a public strategy. So I'm just saying when you take apart services, don't, I can't say bitch, but we're on a, a yeah, broad, podcast, podcast, so we we'll go say. there. Don't complain about the fact that those services oh, no, aren't just, available no, right now. No. I will just say this. It is, I think it is immoral to have an immigration policy, and I, and I would argue it's too arduous, but I've been to enough naturalization ceremonies where people are getting their citizenship at the state capitol. I've spoken at these uh, ceremonies, one of the most emotional and uplifting s events I've ever attended in our state capitol. To have a, a set of rules and have people that believe that the laws to immigrate to this country legally are what they are and have followed them. And at the same time, have other policies that where if people do come across undocumented, have to feel like they have to live in the shadows. They can't go to an HR department and fill out paperwork. They'd have to commit identity theft to be able to find a job. It is not, it is not fair to those that came across undocumented. It's not fair to those that have followed the law, the hard and arduous law, to have done it the way they did. You need an evenly applied immigration policy that I believe in a wall, I be, but I believe in a wide, wide gate. And I think we should have that way of coming here documented into our country. But to have two separate systems at the same time and to try and justify it, there is no justification for it. The problem it. is and I'm no not, one has the cojones to do it. Would you look right. at it? That's right. I but, mean, if you look back over the decades, I look at whether it's Clinton or Obama or Bush or other Bush or everyone campaigns on having open borders, but safe borders, having rules in place, making sure that there's a way to fix immigration. But then it comes to the fight of Congress where it's Republicans and Democrats and someone doesn't want the other side to get the win or we can't do it. I feel like DACA could no, have been a great what? Heidi ago, set up well in the just, segment how flaky we are about it. Yeah. Heidi set up well within the course of what, eight, 10 months, or let's even say 18 months, the parties just switched positions and started yelling Completely. from the other sideline. And you're like, this is this is not a vote of uh, confidence the, when the, you see him the just changing. The border wall was a more consistent application of having to try and, and p bring people in through a legal process so that the, you're not seeing people come over undocumented. But I, but the border wall had no sophistication to it, no. Greg. It, like it, this, it, it, it this was help. a dull-witted, blunt help. It object. It absolutely helps. It does help. No, that, but but I'm going to say that, that you have to get this. You have to get this administered fairly across the board you cannot have selective logic on on the issue of immigration and if anyone thinks because i would argue that heidi you said that people always say we need to have a process and they they pay lip service to it i watched a democrat primary debate this last election cycle where they said how many people think that people should be able to cross our border without documentation. And I'm going to tell you, everyone running for president on the Democrat side, their hands were raised up. And I think this is the first election and cycle that they, I've ever seen that. Uh, it's yes, never happened I've never before. seen it before yeah. this year. And I think I at least congratulate them on their intellectual honesty because I think they've always felt, many have always felt that way, but they didn't want to say it. The next question, though, is how many people um, without documentation should be able to receive uh, health care? Well, and every hand went up. So if you can come across the border undocumented and you have a, you have a right to health care, 
How do you, what do you say to the working families where healthcare costs and their insurance is such a Great. large portion of their household income? You know that income? undocumented can pay is, taxes, right? You know that wrong. often they're supporting our infrastructure How, systems. Not, they're not paying I mean, state or federal income taxes they unless they're are. committing identity uh, I mean, theft because there, they can't. They there can't, are they a couple of steps number. in between totally undocumented and totally documented. And they we find sales tax, they're contributing they're not, to it and they're contributing to our economy. Mara, they do if they come through a so legal way. So here's my question, Greg. A legal process. Your party is in the minority right now in the House. So I would she ask, won't even say Republican out loud. I would, the thinnest <laughs> minority. I know it's neck and neck, long, and we're tied in the word. Senate. So yes. good for you all. But uh, my question is then, in some ways, it's it's the Democrats if they have the courage, which they haven't shown. But if they had the courage, how are they going to bring Republicans to the table on this? Then, so let's go to it's solutions. Easy. What does your party need to? You got it. So if, if before you fi- if you had a leak in a, in the ceiling or in the roof, I don't want a metaphor. I want yeah, well, I want no, like I'm an actual. You, you've got to secure the border, and you've got to have an orderly way for people to be documented and to come across. And you need to make that intuitive, and you can't make it too. You can't make it by border. So just to be appro- clear, you mean the brown border on the south, right? You're not talking about the other borders because well, you let's don't have the clear, same trouble. When we in usually Canada. wink here, we look, usually I, look, are talking about with, Central I, America. Look, I went to see America. a baseball game in Canada, and so they they randomly pulled over our car, and it wasn't me. But if somebody in your car had a DUI from ten years earlier, they're turning you around. Okay, that's how strict the Canada Canadian border is on the Canadian side. On the Canadian side. So I'm what I'm saying is strict border enforcement is happening on both borders, but you're not seeing the same illegal crossings in Canada and America that you see on the southern border, but the same rules apply to some degree. And in Canada, they're not they're not just letting anybody come over. They're scrutinizing Americans as they come over their borders. So, so what I'm saying is this. You've got to have a, an orderly system that you that shows how, how people get here. And then once you have that, then you can start dealing with the issues we have inside, like young people that are brought over, no choice of their own, the DACA, kids that we want we don't want to see as hiding in the shadows we want to do something but if you try amnesty if you try some of these things that i've heard democrats want and you have not secured your border you create a magnet of more illegal crossings because there is a reward there is a amnesty there's something coming on the other side you have to secure your borders and then you can deal in a reasonable way so with I just the do situation. What if we did it like shots where we let people sign up and you could like have your day that you were allowed to come? You could or come like, and you get an yeah, appointment. I don't know how to make it, but there's got to be something. With you, know why the chamber, you. you know why U.S. Chamber of Commerce's love illegal immigration? Because they get cheap labor that they don't have to pay. Yeah, no, we agree right on that. Rate. I will just I want, I want to point out, I want to conflate a couple of our issues today and just okay. point out a logic flaw. Just to be clear. Your logic flaw, not mine. <laughs> sure, that sounds right. So just so to be clear, there's no way we can imagine a world in which we can um, retract guns because it's an existing um, issue. It's an existing distribution. Yeah, there's 300 plus million of them. But you're going to apply that logic for people already existing. So you can turn off this tap and be like, you know what we do? We just I'm turn so off. Glad you we said just this. turn off the no, tap no. in immigration. Greg, would there? I these would are, no these are real people. Pick in the doors and take people out of their homes as I would kick down those doors and take their guns out of their homes. I am. But you want to slap up a big this. wall and you think this is a faucet that mm-hmm. turns on and off. And your solution no. is just turn the faucet. I off. think when, when Trump got heart, got started enforcing the border and telling Mexico, you can't, you're, you're going to have to deal with people when they come there. If people want asylum, they're not coming through till their asylum. This is a direct byproduct of the abject failure yeah, that he That wasn't a failure. Instituted. That border was more orderly. We were having orderly crossings that we weren't having before. So there's a direct relationship to the experience we're having at the border today and the Trump policies. We'll save um, national yeah, because they security have people and weak human on trafficking <laughs> at the border <laughs> until next week. Because Biden said, come on over, we're taking you all. And that's why they all came. I, I'm just going to say that it's There's to be been s- interviews that so much. It's sunnier this weekend, and we should all have a chance it's to be get nice. And I Has think our 20-minute podcast expired our yet? our longest <laughs> podcast ever today. Oh, that's But not, I feel like I there know. was great energy. We're solving the world's yeah. problems. And I'd like Republicans and Democrats... I will never give up trying to help Mara come to the right side. Doing theater with guns. Stop doing theater with the borders, and let's just solve some problems. Because there was a problem then. There's a problem now. What the answer is, I'm not paid to fix this. I know it. We can I know do the it. answer. We can do just, something. Just listen to me. I'll, just listen I'll to get Greg. you there. Yeah, you do. I'll take us to the promised land. Loud music. Exit the stage left. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Tell your friends about us.